What do you do when the bottom drops out? I'm sure many of us are asking this question specifically this year. Every year I prepare for the High Holy Days with one thing in mind. I ask myself, what do I need to do to make this year better than the year before? Then I plan, ready when Rosh Hashanah hits, to act. Each year I have a tremendous amount of enthusiasm for the coming year. I greet the High Holy Days with a sort of religious faith that this year will be the best one yet. But this year seems different. For the first time, I am not sure that I can authentically say that I know, that I believe that the coming year will get any better. I pray that this pandemic ends. I hope for a vaccine. I yearn to once again gather. But if I'm being honest, if I'm being authentic, I can't make promises or plans, even to myself. Jews know this feeling well. We have countless examples throughout history of facing the future when the bottom drops out. For thousands of years, onlookers have marveled at the way that our people have survived. Some have credited our enduring presence with our dedication to learning, others to our close-knit communities, and still others to our Jewish practices that we can perform in any land and any time. But I think what has kept us going is our resilience. And like our ancestors, it is our resilience that will keep us going in the face of the uncertain future that we are facing now. The paradigmatic tragedy of the Jewish people, the one that we base all others on, is the destruction of the first temple in Jerusalem in 586 BCE. In a flash, the Babylonian army laid siege to the city, setting fire to our most sacred sites and raising the temple to the ground. Testimonials from that time describe a, quote, lonely city, once filled with people, now a, quote, widow among the nations. The streets are deserted, the priests sigh, the maidens weep. With the temple in ruins, the people are marched en masse from Jerusalem all the way up to Babylonia, forced to remake their lives in exile. For some, the decision to leave was too much. There's a haunting story of a group of priests who climb atop the temple's ruins, offering their keys to God before casting themselves down upon the rocks. But most people went, and it was heartbreaking. One of the more famous psalms in our tradition describes a group of people who sat beside the waters of Babylon and wept. They pine for a life that was. And when a group of locals ask them to hum one of their native songs, they cry out, how can we sing God's song in a strange land? Exile had stopped up their voices. I'm glad that we have a record of this sadness. Our ancestors needed to feel this way. They needed to feel sadness. They needed despondency. They needed sorrow. We can't move toward redemption and light if we ignore the tragedy and the reality of our situations. I imagine that a subset of people never left the waters of Babylon, but many people did. Many found a way to persevere. The Bible records a powerful turning point in the history of the Jews in exile, found in a speech in that generation's prophet, 
Jeremiah. Looking out at his generation, lost and forlorn, Jeremiah implores them to find their resolve and make a new home in this strange land. He says, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat of their fruit, take wives and beget sons and daughters, multiply there, do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city to which I've exiled you and pray to God on its behalf, for in its prosperity you shall prosper. Jeremiah's command is deceptively simple. Start living your life. In the face of adversity, find that little well of resilience that lives within you. Build your homes. Plant your gardens. Jeremiah goes on to tell the people to have faith that one day they will return home to Jerusalem. That God has a plan for them. That they should look to the future with hope. But in the meantime, they cannot hit pause on life. For many of us, life has been paused. Even if you do everything right during this pandemic, there will be aspects of your life that are frozen. For some of us, they are our relationships. We manage to find a way to see or call the most important people in our lives, but a large set of others are lost to us. We don't casually greet them at social gatherings or synagogue programs, and we only realize their importance when we look at the gaping hole left by their absence. For others, it is a pause on our goals. Some of us may have lost a job. Others may have frozen our search for a spouse or our quest to have a child. Many of us mourn the canceled activities, the missed trips, or the hobbies left uncultivated. It is as if we have been forced to sit shiva for the lives that we had been living. We lay down by the rivers of Babylon and we grieve. We sit squarely in the fear of an uncertain future, unable to sing a song that we once sang. How can we sing such a song in a strange land that we find ourselves in? But like our ancestors, each of us is blessed with a wellspring of resolve. We are resilient. And each of us can rise again. Our world is broken. We feel in exile. But it doesn't mean that we can't find our own way to follow Jeremiah's advice. To plant our gardens, to build, to sow, to love. Our Proverbs teach a righteous person can fall seven times and still rise. And that is exactly what we must do. So how do we tap that inner strength? How do we find that spark of resilience buried deep within us? First, know that you've been here before. True, no one has faced the exact challenge of our current era. Every moment is unique. But each of us has overcome some challenge in our past. There's a powerful teaching in our Zohar that each time the Bible skips forward in time, using a phrase, quote, and it came to pass, there was usually some kind of sorrow or loss found in that passage of time. Life is defined by periods of seemingly inescapable hardship, punctuated by moments of calm. 
But when we look back on a life well lived, we find that somehow we escaped the inescapable. And we will do that for this current moment. Each one of us has a proven history of mourning deaths, finding new relationships, reconciling broken friendships. Every one of us knows how to heal, to mend, to salve our broken hearts. The only thing that separates this moment from those that we don't have models and mentors for overcoming is this pandemic. Every one of us is groping blindly, but together. And this leads me to my next piece of advice. Work to forgive yourself when you fail to meet your own expectations, but don't give up on yourself entirely. Every one of us is imperfectly navigating this crisis. Not a day goes by that I don't think I'm failing someone. When I'm doing decent work at the congregation, I usually feel like I'm a bad dad or a bad husband. And when I'm getting my home life right, I feel like I'm failing you, my congregation. Sooner or later, when we feel like we can't do anything right, we stop trying. We give up and we despair. But the resilient keep marching forward. We forgive our inadequacies without growing complacent. We don't hit pause on our lives. We figure out a way to keep going, albeit imperfectly. There's an ancient debate in the Talmud between two rabbis, Hanina and Chia, about what to do in the face of insurmountable challenges that come with trying to preserve the Jewish people in times of crisis. Hanina advocates for an all-or-nothing approach. I'll let the tradition fades away, he intimates. And when the crisis ends, I'll help my community find its way back. Chia disagrees. He would go to the ends of the earth not to let the tradition slip, even weaving nets to cast deer, to make parchment to write the books that his students might read. It's no surprise that Chia seems to win the debate. Time marches forward, and so too should life. It might look different. It might be unbearably hard, but we must press on with the tools that we have. And when we do, we might begin to see that there is good to hold on to even in this moment. Some of us have taken Jeremiah's advice. We've literally planted gardens or fixed up our homes. Others have cultivated long-lost pieces of ourselves. We've learned to bake sourdough, gotten in shape, and finally read that book or watched that show that we meant to. Still others have reconciled with family, even that we might not have had enough time to before the crisis hit. But I know that that isn't everyone. And seeing your friends seemingly thrive on the curated facade of social media when you are struggling or stretched thin can only make this moment harder. But even if you don't do any of those things, even if your greatest goal is to make it from one minute to the next, you are still doing something worth celebrating. Every one of us has done something courageous over these past months even if it's simply stepping outside. 
Every one of us has shown compassion, even if it's listening to a friend when you yourself are running on empty. Every one of us has moved past our own experiences in some way to turn on the news and send love to a stranger afar that we see on the screen. I admire every single one of you because whether you realize it or not, at some moment during this crisis, you have embodied, even fleetingly, the best that is humanity. And that is something to celebrate. But perhaps the greatest power many of us have had over these months is the power of hope. To understand exactly what hope is and why it matters, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, former chief rabbi of Great Britain, once wrote, quote, one of the most important distinctions I've learned in the course of reflection on Jewish history is the difference between optimism and hope. Optimism is the belief that things will get better. But hope is the belief that together we can make things better. Optimism is a passive virtue. Hope is an active one. It takes no courage to be an optimist, but it takes a great deal of courage to have hope. Knowing what we do, no Jew can be an optimist. But Jews have never, despite a history of sometimes awesome suffering, given up hope. The current state of the world makes it very difficult to be an optimist. There is too much unknown to have a rosy picture of the future. But nevertheless, I have hope. I believe that however much this current moment is difficult, I have within me the answers to make it at least a little better. I know that I have the strength to find a little more community, the tools to achieve a little more peace of mind, the means just to have a bit more balance. And so do you. We have an uncertain future ahead of us. And we cannot promise ourselves that everything will be fine. But we can hope. We can believe in our resolve to make tomorrow just a little bit better than today. 2,000 years ago, a group of rabbis were walking through the ruins of the Second Temple in Jerusalem when they saw foxes wandering among the rubble. They rent their garments in sorrow at what their tradition had become. But one rabbi, Rabbi Akiva, began to laugh. His companions turned to him perplexed. Why laugh at a time like this? Akiva pointed to a prophecy that he knew in the Bible that the nadir, the lowest point in Jewish history, would be found when foxes roamed among the temple's ashes. Surely, he reminded them, this means that when history marches on, there are other prophecies that will come true. That of old men and women sitting among the gates of a rebuilt temple. For many of us, this year is our nadir. But like Akiva, we can find images hidden within that give us hope for a better future. It might be that unexpected phone call an act of kindness from a neighbor, a simple hello from afar when we stand atop our stoop. There are millions of reasons to hope all around us if we only let them in. You may be feeling like our ancestors, sitting beside the waters of Babylon without a song to sing. 
but I believe you can get up. I believe you have a symphony to give to the world. Menachem Mendel of Kutzka once wrote, three ways are open to a person in sorrow. One who stands on a normal wrong weeps. One who stands higher is silent. But one who stands on the topmost rung, he converts sorrow to song. So follow Jeremiah. Plant your gardens even with crooked rows. Build your houses even if the walls slant. Don't wait. But most of all, sing. Your tune may look a little different today. It may be broken. Your voice may crack. You may stutter or stammer. But keep singing even behind that mask. I promise you, the imperfect tune you compose will be beautiful and perfect. Shana Tova.